0: Good morning. My name is R. Dallas Green. Welcome to Grace. This is a good time to be joining us at Grace because you get to hear what's on our hearts. We, um, you get to hear what God's been saying to us and confirming. This morning we begin a new series entitled "Intentional." We are very intentional here about making disciples, about making disciple makers. The question we're beginning to ask and have been asking is, is it making any disciples? That's the question by which we're evaluating everything we do here at Grace. Because we wanna be intentional in our children's ministry called Greenhouse, making little disciples. And we wanna be intentional in our youth ministry called Lighthouse, making student disciples. And we wanna be intentional with our real life discipleship groups, making disciples. So one of the first pillars of our church is intentionality. And this morning we're gonna show you how to be intentional about your faith. In regards to having a quiet time. One of our men, Ken Fowler, is going to come. He's going to model for you actually how he does his quiet time, his time with God. So I want to begin this morning with our uh, vision statement, which I think you've become familiar with, and it goes like this. We exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Now this is the audience participation part So if you (laughs) do me the great pleasure of just saying this with me, here we go. We exist to be disciples, to make disciples, who live and love like Jesus. So that's a very important statement that we are very intentional about. And it's really how we define disciples, which comes from Matthew 4.19. Jesus said these words, come, follow me. Now Jesus was speaking this in the context of fishermen beside the Sea of Galilee, people like Peter and Andrew, James and John, come follow me, right, make me your first priority, come follow me, follow me on a journey, come follow me, and then something's going to happen in your life, you're going to be made into something brand new, I'm going to make you into fishers of men, which says that the first part of this is involving the head, right, Making the decision to follow Jesus. That's the first decision. To be the kind of person he wants me to be, to do the kind of things he wants me to do, to say the kind of words he wants me to say. I want to follow Jesus. My following Jesus won't always be convenient. Following Jesus may at times be very difficult. And we live in one of the busiest cultures in the world. I think that you, some of you, are on the busiest, some of the busiest people I know. So, one of the hard questions we want to ask is Have I become so busy that I'm not following Jesus? And following Jesus won't always be comfortable. We really like to be comfortable, right? To find our comfort zones. Now, comfort is good when you're exhausted to recover, but we will never find our best self best version of ourselves, as long as we live in our comfort zones, right? The best version of who you are is when you move out of your comfort zone in obedience to Jesus. So the first decision we make is, am I willing to follow him? Secondly, there's a transformation that happens. He begins to change us at the heart level. So a heart question we ask is, how is Jesus changing my life? how has God been speaking to you? Imagine we saw each other, hadn't seen each other for a little while, and we said, how has God been speaking to you? What has God been saying to you? Now there's three components of this change. They are these, the word of God, getting the word of God into us, allowing the spirit of God to speak to us, and then being with the people of God in community. So the first part is having to do with the head, following Jesus. The second part is the heart level transformation. You see, God wants to do something in you, and then he wants to bring something out of you. You know, you can cram for the exam, but you can't cram for maturity. God wants to grow you up. God wants to mature you. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's the law of the harvest, right? You plant the seed, you water the seed, and then the seed becomes a plant, and the plant begins to bear fruit. God wants your life to produce lots and lots of fruit, but it takes a long time. And when I see someone who's becoming mature, I see a depth, and I see a richness, and I see a beauty to their life. I see an inner confidence and a security. And what God wants to do in you is he wants to bring about maturity. And the last thing about the verse is that we join Jesus in a mission, which has to do with our feet, that Jesus was intentional, and we become intentional with the opportunities that God gives us. I want to say that Jesus lived a very intentional life, and God calls us to live with intentionality. Jesus loves the messy people in the world. And when Jesus comes into our life, he finds a pretty messy person. Matthew was a mess, and Jesus said, come, follow me out of your mess. The most famous verse we know in Scripture is John 3.16, which says that God so loved the world. God the Father so loved the world that he sent his Son to walk into our world into our mess with messy people. But the verse we don't often think about is the verse right after that, John 3, 17, which says, the Son did not come into the world to condemn. Jesus did not come to condemn. That tells me that when Jesus comes into our life, he'll often find a mess. Now think about the biggest mess you've ever seen. The biggest mess I ever saw was my room, my my Josh's room when we were sort of updating the house and we had put all the stuff in Josh's room, sort of all the other furniture into his room and you know those buckets of paint that you don't quite completely close the lid on? Well, one of those buckets of paint was very near the door and Josh was trying to make his way from his door to his bed and he opened the door and that bucket of paint spilled over everything. I think I said something to Debbie like, I think we need to move, (laughs) because the mess was just unbelievable. It was a mess that I didn't think we could ever clean up, just wanted to close the door and walk away from the mess. When Jesus walked on this earth, he walked toward the mess. Now, you may have made a mess so big, you aren't sure it ever will be cleaned up. You may find yourself this morning in a messy relationship. You may be in the midst of a messy marriage. You may have made a mess out of your first marriage. You may be dealing with a mess at work. You may have a mess on your hands at school. You may be involved with a legal mess. And you may say to yourself, I should never have done that. I should never have gone there. Consider, just as we open this morning, some of the messy people that Jesus walked into their lives. When Jesus, our fourth slide, walked into the life of a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, she had made a mess of her marriage, she had made a mess of someone else's marriage, and the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus. And they said, under the law, a woman should be stoned. Now, what do you say? And Jesus began to write something in the sand. We don't know what Jesus wrote. Perhaps he was writing the laws of God. Perhaps he was writing the names of those men who were accusing her. They were judging her. And then Jesus said, Let the one without sin be the first to throw the stone. And one by one, beginning with the oldest, they walked away. And I believe the woman hung her head in shame because her life was such an incredible mess. And I believe Jesus would have said to her something like, look at me. Neither do I condemn you, but go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus walked into a very messy situation and did not bring condemnation onto her, but invited her into a brand new life of freedom. And then there's the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus would have said to Zacchaeus, come down to me. Now Zacchaeus had made a mess of his life as well. Zacchaeus um, was working for the Roman government. He was uh, collecting taxes. So I believe that when Zacchaeus climbed up in that tree, he perhaps had his armed guard waiting for him at the bottom of the tree. And he climbed up the tree because he knew that Jesus had invited Matthew to follow him, a tax collector. And so now he's looking to see Jesus, and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, knew him by name, come down from the tree, because I must stay at your house today. Jesus walked toward the mess of Zacchaeus's life. Jesus wanted to spend time with Zacchaeus. Jesus went to his house, and his life began to change. His heart began to change in the presence of Jesus. Illustration number three, there was a woman, and she had gone to the well, and her life was a mess as well. She brought her most precious possession, her water jar that was empty, and it was the hot of the day. You could not experience this level of hot. She had come to the well by herself, and Jesus engaged her in conversation. And uh, he said to her, If you knew the gift that I had to offer you, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. And she said, Sir, I want some of this water. I'm thirsty. Here was a woman who was physically thirsty and emotionally thirsty and spiritually parched. And Jesus walked into the mess of her life, offering to her living water. And she said, I want some of that water. And Jesus said, go first and call your husband and come back. Now, here was a woman who was living with a man. She was living in a mess. And Jesus intentionally walked into her mess and asked her to come back so the conversation could continue. And lastly, there was a a man who was on a cross. Now, he had been in a prison. His life was a mess. He had broken the laws of Rome. And so now he was going to be crucified. And he happened to be with Jesus right beside him on the cross. And he saw how Jesus suffered. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're coming with me. Jesus walked into very messy situations, in messy people's lives, Which brings us to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. What I want to talk to you about today is how the gospel makes a difference in our lives. When we come to become a follower of Jesus Christ, who begin to speak into our life. So this is what Paul is doing now. He's speaking into the lives of believers, inviting them into a deeper side of Christianity. This is what he says, Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called by one hope into what you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. Now, Paul, when he wrote this letter, wasn't on vacation. He wasn't writing this from the beach. He was writing this from a prison cell. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, this epistle to the Ephesians, to explain to them that they were blessed beyond measure, that they were chosen of God, that they were adopted into God's family, and they had been transferred from being spiritually dead now to being spiritually alive. So in light of all of these truths, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul is saying that I myself am stuck in prison, but he's saying don't get stuck in your faith. Don't be sitting on your hands. Don't be sitting on the sidelines. Don't be living your life like your old life. Don't be staying the same. You are called to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you can't stay the same. You're called to make progress. You're called to be mature. To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. God has called you out of that old life into a brand new life. So now live a life that's worthy of that calling. And you say, well, what do I need to do? What's the first steps in my new life in Christ? He lays it out for us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. What God wants to form in your life is humility. Humility is the core Christian virtue. The Romans looked down upon humility as being weakness. But Jesus humbled himself enough to serve. When you see the Spirit of God breaking down someone's pride, what you begin to see is the person becomes a willing servant. To be humble is to be willing to serve even if nobody ever sees, even if nobody ever applauds. What's beautiful to me this week was that before the team went down to Haiti, you sent in some care packages for these precious children. We sponsor about 100 kids down in Haiti, and there were all these packages that were lined up in the the greenhouse. And I saw the love inside your heart for these precious children, willing to serve them in their poverty, sending them packages of love. There was a team that gathered here on Friday, and they were heading down to the rescue mission, just willing to serve the poor. And one of them said just before we went, I hope they don't break into a fight today, because last time they were sort of having this argument amongst themselves. But the humility to be willing to serve So in spiritual formation, the very first thing that God wants to form in us is humility. Secondly, he speaks to gentleness. What God wants to form in you is gentleness. Gentleness or meekness is God's strength under control. We would say a horse in its natural condition is strong and wild, but then the horse becomes broken. And the horse becomes obedient to the will of the master. And the horse, we would say, becomes gentle. Some of you, your lives would be characterized by being wild and strong, right? sort of out of control. And what happens when the Spirit begins to work in your life is He begins to add gentleness to you. It's a strength under the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner man and a person becomes gentleness. Gentle. So gentleness is God's strength under God's control. And God wants to form in you patience. Intentionality has to do with allowing God to form patience in us. Life has its long list of irritating weights, like waiting to fly or waiting for something that's broken to be fixed, or waiting for a reply on email, or waiting for a computer to kind of load up. You see, in community with each other, we learn what it means to be patient with each other. One of the things we do here is called starting point, and starting point is all about being patient, letting people ask their questions of the faith, you see. Not rushing through, but being patient with one another as we have deep questions about our faith. Have you ever thought, this is a thought, have you ever thought how patient God is with you? That God has been so extremely patient with us, and he wants that patience to be extended to one another. And lastly, in verse 2, he says, forbearing in love. One of the works of the Spirit in us is producing forbearance, forbearance in love. Now, this is beyond tolerance. Tolerance says that there are no absolutes and we should never judge one another. But forbearance has to do with bearing with each other in love. I want grace to be the safest place that we can can meet to talk about difficult stuff. We can talk about the stuff that we grapple with. We can talk about the issues that we wrestle with. We can say to one another, thank you for being brave enough to bring up that subject. Thank you for trusting me enough to go there. I don't have all the answers, but I have so much to learn about what you just said. And of this you can be sure, there is absolutely no judgment here. There is no condemnation because we're here to follow Jesus and to shine some of his light. Then it says in verse 3, I want you to make every effort to be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Now, one of the things that Jesus is praying for, for his church, is for us to be unified, to be of one heart and one mind, one soul, that when we take the journey, we take the journey together. When we're on the path, we're on the path together. You see, the enemy's plan is to create division, God's plan is to create unity out of diversity. If you looked around the room a little bit, you'd see very diverse people people with diverse personalities, people with diverse gifts and abilities, people with diverse perspectives on different issues. So, what God does amazingly is He gives us a unity out of that diversity and that the call to us is to be diligent, to put effort into maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Then after he talks about, first of all, the call to live a worthy life, then he talks about the attributes of our life, like humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance, and this call to unity, He begins to describe in verse 4 and following the characteristics of what unifies us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And there's a list of seven things, and seven is the number of perfection. They are Trinitarian. He'll speak of the Spirit of Jesus and of the Father. So let's look carefully, if we could, in verses 4 and following, of the things that unify us together as believers. He says, first of all, there is one body. The work of Jesus in his body was made complete on the cross. Remember when he said from the cross, it is finished? That was the visible expression of God in his body on the cross, saying it is finished. But the church, his body, is the visible expression of the body of Jesus in this world. The church is the visible expression of the invisible God. At Pentecost, what God did was he birthed the church, the body, and we now are the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our head and we are his hands and his feet. We get to carry with our feet the gospel. We get to use our hands to touch people in the name of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Jesus, you see. And I believe our body has one of the great opportunities um, in this very hour. Our own Pastor Mike has been serving in the area of pastoral care. And Mike will be stepping down at the end of this year. And last week he did an equipping session helping the body to get prepared to care for one another. And I believe our body can step into more significant caring for one another in the context of the body. You see, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus, and we can be there for each other in each other's lives, and we can walk with each other through no matter what, because we are his body. Then he says there is one spirit. The spirit is very active in the life of the body. It's the Spirit that nudges us from within. It's the Spirit that prompts us from within. It's the Spirit that whispers things into our ear. It's the Spirit that speaks to us. You see, the Spirit illumines our minds when we're walking in darkness. It's the Spirit that empowers our witness to be bold. It's the Spirit that strengthens our innermost being. It's the Spirit that comforts us in our pain. So what unifies us is that we are one body and we have one Spirit. But we also have one hope. Paul prayed that the eyes of our hope may be enlightened, to know the hope to which God has called us. I was talking to somebody this week, and he was talking about how dark his life situation was. And his last words to me was, I can't wait till Jesus Christ comes back. You know, we put our hope somewhere in this world. And many people have put their hope in the election. I want to tell you that our hope is not in Donald Trump. Our hope is not in Hillary Clinton. And our hope has nothing to do with the economy, though the economy took a... took a... Parenthesis this week as England's departure from the European Union sent ripples through the worldwide economy. But our hope has nothing to do with politics and our hope has nothing to do with the economy because our hope is placed in the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. You see, there's one hope. There's one hope for the believer, and that is the return of Jesus for his church. And there's one Lord. You see, God is calling us to follow after Jesus. There is plenty of darkness in this world. And when you decide to follow Jesus, you're going to follow the person with the most light. If I'm going to follow somebody and I find myself in darkness, I want to follow the person with the most light. And Jesus said that, I am the light of the world. If we're going to follow him out of the darkness, we're going to follow the light that Jesus Christ gives us. Jesus will give us light for the next step. And then we will follow him in the journey because Jesus is the master and Jesus is the leader and Jesus is the Lord. And there is one faith. Now, what did Paul mean when he said, there's one faith. There's one body of truth that has been handed down to us. And every word of this truth is inspired. And God has preserved every word of this for us. in has inspired scriptures. The scriptures are our standard. The scriptures are our marching orders. The scriptures are our compass to navigate life with. I mean, where would we go if God hadn't spoken to us with the scriptures? How would we know what to do if God had not revealed himself to us with the scriptures in the faith? And he says there is one baptism. There is one baptism of the Spirit by which we were placed into the body of Christ. Baptism talks about the old life being washed away and the new life begun in Christ. Baptism is to us a picture of the washing away of sin, of walking in newness of life with Jesus. There is a spirit baptism when a person believes they're placed into the body of Christ. And there is then a water baptism to display what has transpired in their life as God has washed away their sins and invited them to walk in newness of life. And then there is one God and Father over all. This God, our Father, our Abba Father, is sovereign. He is ruling and he is reigning. He is through all things. We see his fingerprints everywhere. Come on up again. We see his fingerprints everywhere. We see in every sunrise and every sunset the hand of our God. We see him in every mountain And every stream. We see him in everything he's created. He is our Abba Father who wants to reveal himself to us. We see his fingerprints in creation. We hear God's voice in Scripture. Now Ken, my dear friend, is beside me. And Ken is a man whom I deeply respect and love. He's a man of God. His life has been formed through just Seeking after God and hearing God's voice, coming into God's presence, reading the scriptures, and giving the Spirit some work, some some room to work. So what Ken's going to do for you right now is he's going to model for you how to have a quiet time. Remember intentionality? This is one area of our life that we can become very intentional about, of simply meeting in the presence of God and letting God speak to us but some of you have never seen someone do a quiet time. So what Ken's gonna do for you right now is he's gonna model for you how to have a quiet time with God, Ken Fowler.
1: Thank you. My normal practice every day is to find a, uh, to take a specific time during the day and set aside a time when I'm gonna meet with God. And And basically what I do is I make an appointment with him. Then I find a place that's going to be comfortable for me. In my house, I have a special room with um, a special chair, and maybe a desk, and I will sit there, and maybe I'll close the door just to be quiet, no distractions, so I can begin to concentrate on what God has to say to me today. Then what I'd like to do is to open up my quiet time with uh, maybe a verse of adoration. Uh, Today I've chosen Psalm 145, verse 3, which says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness, no one can fathom. Thinking about meeting with the Holy God, then I need to confess. I need to, because God has said, "If I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness." So I want to be um, cleansed. I want to be uh, able to meet with God in a in a way that's uh, real. So I want to confess any known sin that I have. Then I also want to give him some thanks. Uh, Psalm 1 speaks to me very clearly. It says, "Give thanks to the Lord for He is good; His love endures forever." So after doing this, then I want to open God's Word and to, and my guide for uh, doing the quiet time is the daily our daily bread. Um, today I'm going to be um, using our daily bread. I'm going to be looking at um, Matthew five verses forty three to forty eight. Now, in my reading, I try to pick one or two verses and focus on that. Today, I'm focusing on Matthew uh, 5, verse 48. So, Lord, as I open your word today, I know these are the most important words that I will read today, and I'm asking you for insight and understanding as I hear what you have to say to me through your word. looking at Matthew uh, 5 verse 48 it says be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect I read that verse and I go perfect how can I be perfect only Jesus is the perfect one but from the little uh, box that gives some insight at times to our daily bread I find out that the word perfect being translated means mature, complete or grown up now I begin to understand a little bit more about what that, how I can apply that verse in my life. What I see in that is that God wants me to be transformed so that I can be more like his son. Based on these thoughts, and I do this every day, I write down something about what I've read, just uh, something very practical. Now this is exactly what I've written down in my journal for, for this particular reading. I said, be perfect? I've always known I couldn't attain this, but today from insight, the translation means mature, complete, or grown up. These are more attainable goals for me at this time. But sometimes I think about that, and this level really is beyond my reach. Lord, I thank you that you understand just exactly where I am in my walk. I want to be that spirit-filled, mature person, but at times, I just act like a child. Lord, I need all the help I can get to be the person you want me to be. I would spend some time meditating on that and thinking about it, and because I've learned something today, I want to be able to share that with someone else. So I say thank you, Lord, for what you've shown me today. As always, I want to share what I've learned from your word. So I'm asking for opportunity to share this with someone who I may talk to today, possibly a family member, another believer, or maybe even one of my neighbors. Lord, today, I thank you for what you've taught me. I thank you for Jesus who... Is my Lord and my Savior, and I want to do what you've called me to do. So Lord, bring someone run across my path that I might share this with, and I commit all this time to you in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen.
0: Don't you love Kim? Yeah. <clears throat> Humble man of God. So, we're talking about intentionality, right? About putting it into practice not saying, like, I really think I should have a quiet time, or I'm going to try to have a quiet time, too. I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm going to set some time aside to God. So I'm going to invite now the ushers to come. And if you'd like to have a tool toward that end, you just lift up your hand. This is called our daily bread. And for the next 28 weeks, I'd like to challenge you to set aside seven minutes in a day to be with God. You're going to have to find a place. You have to determine a time. So, for for Pastor R, it's his red chair in his sunroom at 6 a.m. It's me and God. We go to the chair together. And I have at that place my little journal. And I have a pen. And I have our daily bread. And I can sort of be with God in that place. So, I want you to set aside a time and determine a place. It may work for you in the morning. You may not be a morning kind of person. Maybe in the evening, you may want to start in the morning You know, hearing from God and then review through the day and then in the evening come back. But you have to determine a specific time and place and spend the first, first half a minute preparing your heart. Lord, quiet and cleanse my heart. Lord, speak to me through your word. The most important word I'm going to hear all day is the word you speak to me you see we can't get it all done here on a sunday morning in an hour we're calling you to a daily life with god to spending a quiet time with him and then in the next four minutes what you do in that four minutes of time is you begin looking at the scripture verse now each one of those little articles will have a bo- emboldened scripture verse What I would like you to do is, before you read the little article, to open your Bible and read through that passage, right? And meditate on the Word of God. Focus on just a verse or two verses, because your greatest need of any day is to hear a word from God. And what's amazing is that when you start doing this, how how the Word will be speaking into your very situation. Just to illustrate this to you, On Friday, I decided to do this publicly, so I went on our website and blogged the very first verse, which was June 26th. It had something like this, treat your wife with respect, right, so that your prayers are not hindered. And so I started asking the question, you know, how do I show respect to Debbie? What do I need to do to take some pressure off of her? What can I do to kind of take away a worry of hers? And so (laughs) so Debbie's been worried about this little flower, I planted the flower in the wrong place. I put it where it was convenient for me to plant, but not where she wanted the plant flower to be planted. So I felt like the Spirit of God was speaking to me about transplanting this flower. So what I did was I went home and I moved the flower to where Debbie really wanted it versus where I wanted it, and that's the end of the story. So anyway, God, God began to, to speak to me about what am I supposed to do now to respect and honor and treat her well, okay? So turn it into an action plan, right? Write down what God is saying to you through the word and keep a journal. Now, toward the journal part, some of you may already have your journals, right, that you journal in. But we went down to Ollie's and we got 83 journals. And they're available for two bucks a piece. So I took these journals with me down to Haiti, uh, where the group is now. I took blue journals and I took pink journals. And none of the pastors would ever journal in a pink Journal. So, anyway, I don't care if you take a big journal. But. So we have journals available for you, and they're in the table in the back. You can, they, they cost us two bucks. You can buy a journal, and you can just begin, you know, June 26th, and begin journaling. And then, very importantly, pray about the last two and a half minutes. Pray about what you've discovered in God's Word today. Asking God the question, how do you want me to apply this to my life? How do you want me to change? Now, this is very important, right? God will speak to you. He loves you as you are. But God loves you too much for you to stay as you are. God wants to move you forward. He wants you to progress and mature. So the way we mature is we let the Word of God get inside on us. We let the Spirit of God begin to move in us. We begin to share this with the people of God. And then we share what God is saying to us, to others. See, what I just did for you guys, that's a word that God spoke to me. And when God speaks to you, he can speak through you as well. Share with somebody what God's saying to you. So let me just take Ken for just one second, okay? Ken was talking about being perfect. You know, Scripture says, be perfect as I am perfect. So someone says to you something like, I just made a big mistake. What could you say to them from Ken's devotion? You could say something like, nobody's perfect, right? So what you're doing is you're meeting with God to get a word from him that that word gets inside of you, begins to change your life. Now you've got a word to share with somebody, right? You might be on an Uber ride or you might be on a bus somewhere or you might be on a plane somewhere, sitting in an airport, sitting at work and somebody says something. But because the word now is in your heart, you've got a word to share with them, you see. You want to share what God is saying to you, to others, to encourage them. So what I'd like Ken to do is to pray over you in these um, quiet times, because I wanted to call this series Be Like Ken, but I'm calling it Intentionality because it's really about being intentional with our faith. And I want to hear next week how God spoke to you this coming week. So we have a blog that's available. You can blog on this. And I'd love to hear some stories of how God is speaking to you. So one of the questions we're going to ask you next week is, what's God been saying to you? So toward that end, I want to have Ken pray.
1: Father, we thank you for this day. And just the, uh, the word that you mentioned. let us hear from your from your scriptures. And we thank you, Father, for the message that uh, Pastor R has brought to us. And thank you, Father, for the very fact that we can be intentional about having a quiet time. We can, we can pick a time and pick a place and sit down and open your word and your word will speak to us. We are so, so, we're so thankful that that takes place in our lives. I thank you, Father, for again for this day. I thank you for this special time together. But I thank you most of all for Jesus Christ whose name we pray today. We thank you for coming. We invite you to come back again next week. Amen. Have a great week.